Hi, welcome everyone who's listening online today. My name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor here at LifePoint in Westerville. If this is the first time you're listening in, I just want to say a great big welcome to you. Thanks uh, for coming and you know, listening online with all of our people who are joining together in that format today. Um, I was thinking about uh, one of the blessings I have of being a pastor is that over the years I've ha- been able to do many, many weddings, uh, performing weddings where uh, you know it's just it's one of the pinnacle moments for people's lives, and I get to be right there, front and center, bringing two people together and legally uh, binding them together. It's, it's it's fun for me, but there's no point in a wedding that's, I mean, more dramatic as when the the bride starts to come down the aisle. Well, I did a wedding this past week, and I thought. Uh, you know, it was a little bit of an awkward moment. Let me explain. Uh, so this couple's part of our church in Westerville. And, uh, you know, we were there at the wedding. Everything's going great. Uh, the, all the guests are seated. And it was my time to lead the guys down the aisle. So I go down. All the guys are following. I get down to the center. And the groom is right there on my left. And his groomsmen are all down here. And so we're all standing there. And then the girls, you know, the bridesmaids start making their way down. So, so the music's playing. You know, one bridesmaid after another, and you know, everyone is you know, kind of watching as this unfolds, and the, the girls are now all off to the side. And then instead of having like a little boy or a little girl do the flowers, they had one of his buddies, the groom's buddies, like you know, an adult male, uh, going down and just throwing flowers. It was, it was so funny and kind of relieved the tension, and, and it, was exciting. It, was, it was just really fun. But then he gets down, and he's over there waiting, and then this is the moment, right? In this moment, and typically at this moment, the music changes, and I look over at the moms, and the moms start to stand, and everyone starts to stand, but the bride wasn't there. So, you know, I kind of look over, we're standing, and everyone's just waiting. And in my head, I started thinking, man, what if she doesn't come up? Or what if, you know, what if she fainted? Or what if, you know, she's got cold feet? And, and, and it felt like five minutes. It probably was only 30 seconds. But in that moment, everyone's just kind of waiting and completely focused. And then sure enough, you know, the bride and her dad appear and they start coming down the aisle. And I have to be honest with you, it's one of the most amazing moments, like I said, uh, that I get to witness on a regular basis uh, from my vantage point, right? I bring it up because there's never a point when everyone is that focused all at the same time. Everyone's completely focused, waiting on the bride to come down. And, you know, this past week doing the wedding, it was great because I got to see the dad walking, you know, his daughter down the aisle and just, you know, catch eyes with them as they're coming. It was just so much fun. But there's never a point like that when everyone is that focused on one thing. I bring it up. We're in this series we're calling Labels, where we've been looking through the book of Luke. And what we're saying is that, you know, Jesus interacted with those people who are on the fringes of society. People who would have been considered irreligious or rebellious. And he interacted with them and drew them into the kingdom of God. He interacted with those on the fringes, those who are most likely to be labeled in society. And what we've been saying every week is that the gospel teaches us to live a life above labels. That God wants us to partner with him. You know, he he taught us to pray in Luke 10 too, that pray that there will be more workers. Why? Because the fields are ready. They're ready for the harvest, but the workers are few. But the gospel calls us to join with the Lord in his partnership, in the kingdom of God, that that other people would come to know him. The harvest would come in and become part of the relationship of connection with Jesus himself. The thing is though, it's really difficult to live a life like that unless you're focused. It's really difficult unless faith becomes the centerpiece of your life, unless your focus on Jesus becomes so strong that that faith grows in the midst of, of life's circumstances. And maybe there are times when we're really focused on our faith, but isn't it difficult to stay focused for long periods? 
And isn't it true that we're so distracted by everything in life? I mean, when you're driving on the road, you get to a red light, look around you and watch how many people at a red light pick up their phone to start looking at them. Why is that? Because we're so conditioned to be distracted by everything around us that we can't allow our minds just to sit. And that hinders our ability to focus. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your faith journey too, that you can be a Christian for a long time or maybe just discovering God. And the truth is that we lack focus. Isn't it also true, if you've been a Christ follower for a long time, isn't it true that when you look back at seasons of your life where you made decisions that you regret, decisions of relationships, decisions of the way you spent money, decisions of, of you know, how you dealt with your job or school, like, isn't it true that those decisions, if faith had been central to your life at those moments, if you allowed Jesus to be central in, in your life at those moments, those decisions may not have gone the way they did. So what does it look like? to have a focused faith. What does that look like? How would that impact our life? That's what we're gonna talk about today. So if you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 21. We're gonna look at a passage of scripture that is difficult to interpret. uh, And I think maybe Jesus meant that on purpose. He was a little bit vague, but he's answering some questions for the disciples that that I think we all would wanna know the answers to. But in that, I think we're gonna learn something about focus. Uh, The first thing I wanna share with you is this, is that Jesus has a way of changing our perspective. In context, here's what's happened. Jesus has been on the scene now for three and a half years. He's down to the last few days before the the crucifixion. And he's going to the temple every day. And and we heard last week about how, you know, Jesus went in and cleansed the temple, got rid of the money changers. So the leaders are, are just looking for a way to pounce on him and arrest him. But every day he would teach in the temple courts. And at night he would stay up on the Mount of Olives, which is adjacent there to the temple. And During the day, he's just teaching and hanging out. So on this particular day, he's been teaching and now they're kind of leaving and his disciples say this. Here's what happens in verse five. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here upon one stone upon another that will be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, When will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? So this chapter is covered in three different sections of scripture, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and here in Luke 21. I'm gonna share kind of how he answers this question. And I'm gonna use some tidbits from the other two books of the Bible to explain that. But I'm I'm gonna use Luke 21 as the kind of the reference to share with you. But he's gonna answer some questions. But imagine the context. And we know from the other two chapters, what happened was he was there and they were there at the temple and his disciples were saying, look, look at how amazing this place is. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, this whole temple that you see is gonna be torn down and one stone won't be staying on top of the other. Later that night, they go up to the, uh, the Mount of Olives and Jesus gives them, you know, kind of like a sermon or a teaching about this. And it started when Peter and Andrew and James and John asked him questions. Hey, Jesus, what did you mean by that, about the temple being destroyed? And and what about the sign of your coming? When are you coming back again? What What are the signs of the end of the age? These are questions that they were asking that I think all of us would want answers to. But understand in that context that the temple was beautiful. 
The temple starts all the way back uh, in the time of David and his son Solomon. David had become really one of the first amazing kings of Israel and God solidified the nation of Israel under David and he collected lots of materials and and money and, and everything to build a temple and it was his son Solomon that actually built it. So think around 1500 years before Jesus. That temple was one of the ancient wonders of the world that, you know, from, from all accounts was a magnificent piece of art, right? They made this incredible temple. But God told them, look, if you turn against me, if you turn away from me and worship other gods, I'm gonna allow this nation to be taken into captivity. And that's exactly what happened. So when they go up into Babylon around 600, 650 BC, around that time, uh, Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon destroyed the temple, just completely destroyed it, took all the stuff out of there and took it up into Babylon. The people were dispersed all over the world. And during that time, God gave a prophecy to Daniel, which I'll talk about here in a little bit. But through that prophecy, he said that there's gonna be a new temple made, that you know, a king is gonna give a decree to make the temple. And we know that from scripture under the book of Nehemiah, that the king, the Persian king, allowed Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem and build the city and, and build the temple again. Now that temple wasn't as magnificent, but that temple, and there was lots of, you know, over the history from, you know, around 400 BC down to the time of Christ, that, you know, the temple had its struggles and battles and whatnot. But under King Herod, during the present day of Jesus, King Herod was renovating the temple. And it was said that there were so many of the stones were overlaid with gold that it just, it shimmered. On top of that, a lot of the stone, and we're talking thousands of pounds of stone, were white marble. It was said to have glowed, you know, like just glowed. I mean, it was an amazing building and it's had all these stones, these beautiful, precious stones. And the disciples are saying, look at this, look at it, Jesus. Look at what is created. And in essence, what they're saying is, is this gonna be where our headquarters is gonna be? When you take over Jesus and become the Messiah, when you become the ruler and we're all gonna work here, that's what they're thinking. And Jesus says, none of this stuff is gonna be. He's changing their perspective. He's changing their focus from the man-made temple to an eternal thing. And here's what he says in verse eight. He says, and he said, see that you are not led astray for many will come in my name saying, I am he and the times at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. And then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilence. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. So Jesus is gonna answer the question, but not in the way that they understand it. He's gonna answer the question for the immediate, what's gonna happen to the temple? And he's gonna answer to a great tribulation period that's gonna happen at the end of the age. And so he's gonna answer this question and it's gonna kind of morph in between because this tribulation that's coming on Jerusalem in AD 70 is a foreshadowing to a greater tribulation to the end of times before Jesus actually returns as the king. So he's saying there's gonna be wars and rumors of wars. There's gonna be pestilence. There's gonna be earthquakes, things that happen in every generation. He says, don't be alarmed by those things. Even as they look like it's the end of the world, every generation is gonna face these things. You know, think about, you know, our grandparents' generation and facing World War II, where millions of people were killed. I'm sure a lot of people thought that's the end. And now in our generation, we're looking at a a pandemic that has killed millions of people. And we think, is this the end. These are all signs. In other scriptures, it says this is the beginning of the birth pains, meaning it's, we're in the last days, but we're not there yet. And verse 12 says, but before all this, they will lay hands on you pers- to persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors and for my name's sake. Look at what he says in verse 13. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Isn't that interesting that he's telling them, look, a lot of you are going to be persecuted, but this is your opportunity to, to bear witness to who I am. 
Jesus is always thinking about the eternal when we think about the circumstance. Verse 14, settle it in your minds now, not to meditate before how or before how, beforehand how to answer. I mean, hey, I want you to think about, are you really committed to my eternal cause? Verse 15, for I will give you a mouth of wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. He goes on to say that there's gonna be hatred. There's gonna be, uh, you know, you're gonna be, uh, you know, uh, people are gonna, you know, terrorize you and, and families will be against families and brothers against brothers. And he talks about this persecution. He goes on in verse 20, he says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. So now he's talking about Jerusalem itself. And this reminds me of all the way back to when Jesus was standing above the temple and he was weeping over top of Jerusalem because he knew what was gonna happen. So he's talking about this immediate pending doom of Jerusalem where we know now in this part of history that it was Rome that came in and, and besieged Jerusalem, besieged the temple and destroyed it absolutely no stone was left on top of the other. They wanted that gold and that marble. They wanted the preciousness of everything that was there and they, they took it all. They destroyed the temple. He says to them, you know, let loose those who are in Judea and flee to the mountains. When you start to see these things happen, I want you to run. He talks about how hard it will be. In verse 24, it says, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And catch this, verse 24. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles has been fulfilled. So now he's talking about a longer time frame, that there's gonna be a generation of, of Gentiles who are gonna trample on the foot of Jerusalem. Verse 25, he says, and there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and will be foreboding of what is coming on the world for spoken of the heavens will be shaken or for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Verse 27, and catch this one. And when they see the son of man coming in the cloud with power and great glory, he's saying, understand. And he goes on to say, it's like a fig tree. You know when a fig tree is about to give its fruit. You can tell because you've, you've seen fig trees your whole life. You've watched how at certain times they start to bud and then the fruit comes. In the same way, I want you to notice the signs of all the terror and tumult that's gonna happen. So he's answering a prophecy about, you know, the, the immediate destruction of the temple. And we know in AD 70, the temple was destroyed. But that's a foreshadowing of a great future tribulation that's gonna happen to Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing. I'm, I'm gonna share with you a couple of things because I think we all want these answers. And I only have a short period of time to share some of these things. And I'm taking and drawing upon uh, information from the book of Daniel, uh, from Old Testament prophecy, and from the book of Revelations, and a little bit of Paul's writing, and just trying to give you just a basic timeline of what, what's happening with these end of days, if you will. But in all that, understand there are people who disagree with certain you know, tenets of what I'm sharing. There are PhDs on both sides. And, and this is why, because prophecy never is clear on the front side. It's always clear on the backside. When you look back and say, oh, of course, Isaiah 53, that the, you know, the man of, of this Messiah would come and suffer, would be pierced for our transgressions, would be bruised for our iniquities. It's easy to look now and say, okay, of course, Jesus. But prophecy is, I believe, intentionally kind of clouded that's why it's not clear. But let me share with you just a couple of thoughts. I wanna to read to you uh, from, Mark, uh, or from Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. In the same context of that Olivet Discourse, Jesus says this. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. If you go back to what Daniel was talking about, this is a prophecy in Daniel chapter nine about 70 weeks. The 70 weeks represent 70 
seven-year periods. And it starts at the time when there's a decree issued to build a temple, which we know was given by the Persian king that was allowing Nehemiah to go back and build the temple. So that started a series of seven-year periods that they culminated at the end of the 69th week, which was when the anointed one would be cut off. So that means when Jesus is persecuted and died. Now look, understand that there are so many prophecies that talk about how the Messiah will come back and rule the nations set up a literal kingdom on earth. All those prophecies are gonna come true, but the people of Israel missed the point that that Messiah would first come and would die and be resurrected, would be born of a virgin, would be cut off from among the people. That's what Daniel talked about in the middle of the 69th to the 70th week. So there is a break between the 69th and 70th week. This is the generation, the period of the Gentiles. We know it as the church age. Jesus rose from the grave and the Holy Spirit came and that's what started the church. And now the temple, which has been destroyed, is now being fulfilled on the earth through his believers that we now inhibit the Holy Spirit. When anyone comes to faith, they hear the message of the gospel that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. That he paid the penalty for sins. Anyone who comes to him in faith and receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God puts his spirit in them and we now are the temple. So that's what's happening in the temple. But as Paul wrote, the time or the generation of the Gentiles, the generation of the church is going to end when he pulls the church out of the world. Paul talked about a rapture, that, that somehow the church will be caught up in the air to be with Jesus. And that brings on the 70th week of Daniel or the last seven-year period that is written about in the book of Revelations. What Daniel wrote about was that at one point there's going to be a temple and someone, this antichrist person, this, this evil leader who's led by the devil is gonna to rise to power and put his own image in the temple and command everyone to worship him in the temple of God. That is gonna put apart, gonna set apart a, a three and a half year period, the second half of that last week or the seven year period that's gonna be complete persecution. And eventually what's gonna happen is that the antichrist and the devil are gonna allow the whole world to kind of come against Israel, to fight against Israel and to fight against God. And that is when Jesus will come back. He will come back physically and he's gonna take care of his enemies and he's gonna establish his kingdom on the earth. That is what we consider the second coming of Christ. All of these signs he's, he's kind of talking about with his disciples, understand the context. They wanna know, hey, Here's the temple, it's beautiful. Are you gonna rule now? Are we gonna be, is this gonna be our headquarters? Are we all gonna have corner offices in the temple? And he's saying, no, I don't want your eyes on this and what man has made. I want you to see an eternal perspective. I have a plan and it's coming to fruition and it's gonna be difficult and hard, but it's an opportunity for you to be my witness. That's what he's saying. I want you to change your perspective, but I'm coming back. I think the reality is that it, it's fascinating. And I'm just doing a few minutes worth of, you know, people spend their lifetime studying prophecy and trying to explain it to people. I'm just trying to explain it in, in kind of a gross overview, right? Of what it, what it is. We all wanna know when is it gonna happen? When will, you know, when is, when is Jesus gonna return? When is the Antichrist gonna come? When is this all gonna happen? We wanna know why, because it affects our circumstances. And we are more focused on our circumstances often than we are on the eternal things that God is doing. This is how our perspective needs to change. And as we focus on Christ, we realize that he is doing something. And that brings me to my second point is that our focus will determine the direction of our life. Our focus will determine the direction of our life. Here's what he says in verse 34. But watch, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down 
with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things and are going to take place and to stand before the son of man. Here's what he's saying. I want you to change your focus because your focus determines your life. So he says, I want you to watch, pay attention, watch for the signs, look for my activity everywhere you go. Always stay alert. Don't, and if you don't do that, your focus will naturally drift to the cares of this life. And when you just focus on the cares of this life, you're gonna be focused on the anxiety of all the things you can't control. It says that, that you know, don't allow yourself to be weighed down by dissipation. That's like immorality. What? We, we look for things to do to make us feel a certain way and, and we just get caught up in those things. Anything that we feel, that's all immediate stuff. Drunkenness, that's we wanna numb out, we want pleasure. We get stuck into the cares of this life. We start to see everything around us and this becomes everything to us. It's all about uh, you know, our existence here. And we forget that there's something more going on behind the scenes. There really is a kingdom of God. And during the age of the church or the age of the Gentiles, when the Gentiles trample on Jerusalem, which that alone should make you, if you're a skeptic, uh, then understand just by looking at history, you can realize that the Bible's true. This prophecy that Jesus was giving, I want you to think just, just historically, Israel is the nation, it's a small nation about the size of Rhode Island. And that nation has become the centerpiece of, of a lot of world uh, tumultuous things, right? And, and in AD 70, the, the nation was destroyed and the people were dispersed and they weren't a nation again until 1948. Never in the history of mankind has a nation been destroyed and then almost 2000 years later become a nation again. But that's what we saw, right? With World War II and the destruction of, of people, of, you know, the Jews were you know, almost decimated by Hitler. Then the whole world came together and said, no, we need to give them their land back. And here they got their land. And because there were people living in that land, now there's a, just a complete clash of cultures. So it's not completely their land. And Jerusalem is still not under the control completely of Israel. In fact, there's a mosque on the temple site. That alone should make you go, okay, how did this nation come back? But we see in the end time, in the last days, there's gonna be a final temple. There's gonna be a point where you know, somehow there's gonna be a war that's gonna all go against Israel. What does that mean for us? It says we need to stay awake at all times praying. We need to stay awake. Why? Because we're going to stand in front of the Lord one day. And if it doesn't happen in our lifetime, we will still stand before the Lord one day. Why doesn't he just tell us when? Why doesn't he just give us a date? It says we'll see the signs. Why doesn't he just become more clear? Let me ask you something, honestly. If you believed that Jesus was coming back in exactly 12 months, right? Like this day, next year, Jesus is coming back and he's going to return and he's going to set up his kingdom on the earth. Let me ask you something. How would that change your life now? How would that change your faith? How would that change the way you read your Bible? How would that change the way that you pray? If you knew he was coming back in exactly a year, how would that change the way you handle your relationships? the way you talk to people about Jesus? How would that change the way that you uh, are active in the church and in the ministries? How would that change the way you spend your money and spend your time? If you knew 12 months from today and you know deep down that would cause major changes in your life, that tells you all you need to know about your focus. And we all struggle with focus. Why is that? He's telling us, I want you to stay focused. In the kingdom of God, understand until Jesus returns, when he sets up his kingdom physically, 
Until then, the kingdom of God grows one heart at a time. And he's inviting us to live a life, uh, you know, above labels, right? That we see everyone in certain labels of society. He wants us to live above that. What does that mean? We enter into his work in the kingdom. That every believer now is part of his ministry where he's trying to reach people for the gospel. And that all plays out differently for everyone's life. But we will enter into that. And when we do, it's because we're focused on our faith. We're focused on Jesus. And watch as we focus on him, we start to see his activity and we engage and he shows up in our life and that grows our faith. But if we don't focus on that, then we naturally kind of gravitate away from the things of the Lord. We get focused on the things of this world and they consume us. We become distracted. And then we're not able to engage with God. We don't sense his presence in our life in the same way until we need him. In his incredible grace, he continues to call us every day into relationship with him. Just his mercies are new every morning. He's continually, mercifully calling out to us to, to follow him every day. Can I tell you, it's been a crazy week for my wife and I. Um, on, on Tuesday of this week, I went out to my car and realized that someone had tried to steal my catalytic converter. Uh, and it was cut in two. Someone had sawed it. And evidently they got spooked and left because the catalytic converter was still there. Uh, but my car sounded terrible. And uh, you know, so I drive home and I'm like, what do we do with this thing? And uh, so that next morning, uh, we were going to drive to my mechanic. So early in the morning, uh, I'm, I get in my car and I'm driving to the mechanic. And Tammy gets in her car and she's following me to my mechanic. So I get across you know, you know, the road and you know, we're kind of going down the road. And I'm maybe just a couple minutes ahead of her. And she calls me. And I'm thinking, why are you calling me? I pick up the phone, I'm like, what's going on? And Tammy had been in an accident. She was coming up to an intersection and, and just before the intersection on the right-hand side was this huge auto mechanic dealer. Not, not, not our particular auto mechanic, but an, another really big one. And uh, there was an entranceway into the lot. There were two lanes heading in one direction. Tammy was in the far right lane, but they were coming up and, uh, you know, to that intersection and there were cars stopped on this lane, her left side. There was a truck trying to turn into that auto mechanic dealer, trying to go in there. And so this lane had stopped, and I think the guy was kind of waving the truck on, come on. But they didn't realize that Tammy was still coming in her lane to go forward. And when she came forward, that truck came in and just smacked right into her car. Now, of course, I was like, Tammy, are you okay? She says, I'm okay. I'm a little shook up. I hurt my elbow. And, you know, she's, we're talking there for a minute. I immediately turned around to drive back to her. And I'm thinking the whole time, like, man, what? What is going on? Like, my catalytic converter has been tried, someone tried to steal it. Tammy's car's, you know, been, you know, possibly, you know, totaled. And, and, and you know, is she hurt? Like, all these things are just running through my mind just, just fast as they can be. And I drive back and I find a place to park and I immediately go up to Tammy. I go up, you know, to the car and she's sitting there and she's, she's obviously upset. I'm talking to her and she's telling me what happened. And she just, she started to cry. She says, I, I don't want them to total my car. I love my car. I'm like, baby, just, just relax. And the police officer comes up and she has to do a statement. So I said, hey, I'm gonna go call our daughter. So I kind of move away and I go call our daughter and have her come to meet us. And then I go into that auto mechanic and I thought maybe they can take the car up out of the street and maybe get it up and running somehow so we can get it to a body shop or whatever we gotta do. And I, I really didn't know what to do because there was just too much happening at once, right? So I go into the, the new mechanic in this place and I just start talking to the people and uh, kind of get a plan together and they're gonna get a tow truck and just really just get it off the street and into their, their spot. And so I'm talking through all this. I come back outside and Tammy is over talking with the truck driver who hit her car. And... Uh, I just start heading over there. And here's what I recognize. This is what was interesting. By the time that, you know, I had got there when Tammy was in the car, called my daughter, talked to the mechanic and came back. She's talking with this truck driver. She had already brought up faith with him. 
She had already started talking to him about Jesus and she had already invited him to LifePoint Church all before I got there. And I'm sitting there in that moment, I'm thinking, that's Tammy. That's just who she is. My wife, she struggles with an autoimmune disease called rheumatoid arthritis. And it's really difficult for her. And some days are better than others. It's not just like a sore elbow. I mean, this is a disease that attacks your body from the immune system. And some days, like she can't get out of bed. They're really difficult. So other days are really good. But she never knows from day to day what's gonna be good. And in all of that, here's what happens. She has learned to be completely dependent on God. Because she doesn't know what her days are gonna be like, because it's such a struggle for her, she just prays. She can't serve in every way she wants to, but she always serves on our prayer team, praying for all of the requests that come through for our church. She prays, and that prayer, that dependence on God keeps her focused on the Lord. That in circumstances like that, her first thought was that this guy might be needing to hear about Jesus in that moment. Do you see how it works? That he, Jesus doesn't tell us exactly when. And he allows certain circumstances on this earth because this earth is breaking down, it's under a curse. And there's a, there's a war taking place between, between good and evil. And the kingdom of God is trying to advance against evil and evil is fighting against it and it's causing wars and, and pestilence, all these things that are happening. But what's at stake is that as we follow Christ, he uses us to reach other people with the message of the gospel. That's what's at stake, that if we focus on him, he will use us. And then when he does, we recognize him showing up. What would it look like? What would it look like for your faith to be completely focused on the Lord? Well, I think there's amazing what God might do with one heart who turns to him and focuses on him and senses his presence in their life. God will use that person. And God will do amazing things through anyone who turns their heart to him. Let me ask you something. Have you been distracted? Have you been caught up in the affairs of this life? Have you allowed sin stuff to kind of enter in your life and become really kind of gravitate towards your heart and, and allow that to be captivating to you? Have you been making decisions about life just to kind of, you know, how do you protect your kingdom, right? How do you make your life exactly the way you want it without paying attention to the kingdom of God? Understand that what he's asking for you is your focus and your heart. Draw close to him. He wants to do something in and through your life. He wants to use you to reach other people for the gospel's sake. And maybe if you're listening in and you've never actually heard any of this, isn't it true? There's something in your heart that goes, you know what, I need God. Isn't it true that you start to realize that you need forgiveness? Understand that Jesus came for you to draw you close to him so that you, when you stand before God one day, you would know that you're coming connected to your savior, your Lord. Wherever you're at today, I'm just gonna ask you to pray. Just take a second, close your eyes and pray. If you are someone who's a believer, but you've allowed yourself to become distracted by life and your focus has been off, change your perspective. Say, Lord, I want you to have my heart. I want you to draw my eyes and my focus to you. Use my life any way you choose. I surrender completely to you. Just tell him that. And if you're listening in and you have never made a decision to follow Christ, simply tell God right now, God, I believe in you. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. And today I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sin. Will you please forgive me and help me to follow you? I want to follow you. I wanna be a part of your kingdom. Lead me. Just say that to him. Understand that little step of faith is all he requires. Not big faith, not tremendously focused faith, just a little bit of focus from your heart to him and watch how he starts to meet you in your life. God, I pray that you would use us all for your kingdom. 
Use us to impact others for your glory and for your namesake. Lord, for those who are taking first steps with you, I pray you would meet them where they're at and help them to grow in their faith. For many others who are struggling with focus, Lord, I pray that you would draw us close. Help us to see what you're doing in the kingdom around us. And we ask that in your son's holy name, amen. Amen, thanks so much for listening in. Uh, If you have any questions, uh, you wanna take a next step, whether it's baptism uh, or you wanna get plugged in in any way, you feel free to reach out to me, edt at lifepointohio.com. That's edt at lifepointohio.com. I'd be happy to try to uh, answer any questions that you might have. Until next time, God bless.